It's good to be back preaching uh, after some time off, and thank you, church, for the gift of time off and your graciousness in encouraging and supporting uh, our rest. And this church and council is just so uh, good at that, and it's one of the reasons uh, we've been here for over eight years uh, as your pastors here uh, and continue to feel excited and filled with vision. I always say I feel like we're just getting started, uh, but uh, you have always been so supportive of us. And uh, speaking of getting started, we have uh, a new somewhat unplanned mini-series titled Cultural Humility, Engaging Our Worlds in Love. It's cool how the Lord uh, just really bring things together sometimes, and the plan was for five uh, individual standalone messages with four different uh, speakers for <clears throat> this month of September and everyone kind of doing their own topic. But as we started talking together, we realized they were really kind of all connected into one <clears throat> theme, and so we're tying them together under this topic of cultural humility So last week, Hannah spoke about uh, judging, or more specifically, uh, not judging, out of Luke 13 and Luke 6, 36 and 37. And next week, we'll hear from Ellie on reconciliation. And then uh, Paul's going to talk about how to speak into the culture with boldness, uh, but also humility. And then I'll close the series. But, you know, there's a very clear procedure here taught by Jesus, That applies to how to speak or not speak into our culture. And so we want to follow this order, which is this. First, before you do anything, take the plank out of your own eye. So that's kind of part one, the first half of this series. But then he does say that then, but only then, remove the speck also from your neighbor's eyes. So that's kind of part two or the second half of the series, how to do that. So for today, can I ask you kind of humbly to set aside all the thoughts in your heads like, but what about this situation? Or, you know, but we have to speak up about this or we have to call out sin when we see it. We are going to talk about how to do that in a biblical way. But today is not about removing the speck from others' eyes, or in our culture. Today is about our own plank eye. So I got the the plank here. I know the screen's flashing back and forth, but don't be too distracted there. Uh, So here's a plank. Found this outside in the church parking lot uh, here. Remove this from your eye first. I didn't bring a speck of dust because you wouldn't be able to see it anyway. Um, So we'll just go with the plank there. And I took my title from a 90s Christian punk rock band called Plank Eye. Anybody heard of Plank Eye? Oh, okay, we got one. Oh, two, yes, I love it. There's a picture. Look at that old cassette tape there from the 90s. Love it. I've been listening through the uh, CD catalog uh, this week just for fun. So let's introduce this series by first answering the question, what is cultural humility? It's not my term, and there are various definitions and ways of talking about cultural humility, but this is my own kind of simple definition we're going by for this series, and it's this. Choosing curiosity, humility, and love toward others 
our culture, and our world instead of dogmatism, arrogance, and outrage. If you want, you can turn that off uh, just because eventually it'll probably drive us all nuts. Um, unless we have it. Maybe we have it. We got some loose wires back there. And I, I don't mean that metaphorically. Uh, I'm just serious. I got some loose wires back there. Sorry, guys. Choosing curiosity, humility, and love toward others, our culture, and our world instead of dogmatism, arrogance, and outrage. In other words, instead of assuming that we're always right, we have all the answers, and our cultural perspectives are superior, and expressing outrage at those who think differently than us, we actually make space to learn from others, understand them, and treat them with love. Uh, Pastor and Christian author and executive director of the Billy Graham Center says that, uh, Ed Stetzer says that we live in the age of outrage, right? We're prone to think we know best, that we have all the right answers, and those who disagree are at best wrong and at worst our enemy. But the Bible tells us to take a more humble approach than that, to first examine our own lives carefully before we even consider acting, or speaking. So how can we do this? My goal for today is to hopefully be just super practical and give you some characteristics of cultural humility that you can use daily or said uh, biblically here, four ways to avoid being a plank eye. And we'll eventually, we can post these slides online since you don't have them this morning if you're uh, taking notes. But four ways to avoid being a plank eye. And number one is to learn to listen. A symptom of being quick to judge is being slow to listen. Plank eyes speak too much and listen too little. James 1, 19 and 20 says this. It says, you must understand this, my brothers and sisters. Let everyone be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to anger. And then listen to this. For human anger does not produce God's righteousness. And if this verse was written today, it would probably also say, right, be slow to post on social media. Be slow to respond to that text, that email. First, try to listen. And James is speaking here of the the power of restraint. And it's a lost art in our culture. A book recommendation here would be uh, Daryl Van Tongren's book on the quiet power of restraint. And it's called Humble. Free yourself from the traps of a narcissistic world. Alicia Chole in her book, Sacred Slow, says that not listening is perhaps the first exhale of lovelessness. See, not listening is an exercise in independence, which breeds a rebellious spirit, whereas listening is an exercise in interdependence, which nurtures a teachable spirit. And I think just an example of how this 
or how hard this is to be other-oriented instead of thinking of ourselves is that, you know, even on this point, a lot of, the, a lot of us, if we're honest, we're thinking, yeah, man, like, if that person would just listen to me. I mean, I was guilty of this while I'm writing it. You know, yeah, if, if my spouse would just listen to me, right? If my employee would just listen to me, if my MP would just listen to me. But here's why this is so important. Since listening is so crucial in our relationship with God, remember our Samuel series, we did a whole message on listening. Since listening is so crucial in our relationship with God, how well we do it with others will impact how well we do it with God. If we don't learn to listen to others, how will we learn to listen to the voice of God? If we come into a conversation and try to master someone or that conversation, we'll begin to take the same approach to God and to God's words, right? But I don't want to come to the, to the biblical text, to God's word, to try to master the text, to stand over the text, right? I want to stand under the text, so to speak, to take the posture of receiving, of listening, an open heart and mind when I come to God's Word. So in order to avoid being a plank eye, learn to listen first. Practice the arts of restraint. So does that mean when something's not right? When there's, you know, dysfunction in a person, a family, a workplace, or a church, we just go around listening and doing nothing? Well, of course not. But we can and should start there. But I think maybe the best way to attend to the plank in our own eye while also addressing the specks we might see is to point number two, to criticize by creating. Criticize by creating. This maxim, uh, it doesn't belong to me. I'm not sure who coined it, but I love it. And it just means that the best way to critique something, including our culture, is to get involved in changing it and creating something more beautiful. To put it in an even more kind of colloquial or even kind of uh, cheesy, cringeworthy terms, uh, be the change you want to see, not talk about the change you want to see, what's often referred to as uh, slacktivism, right? The temptation in our current culture is to stand on the sidelines and point out what's wrong with, well, everything. <laughs> to point out the specks everywhere, right? We become spectators. See what I did there? See what I did there? I actually came up with that all by myself. I really did. I really did. But we, be, we do. We come obsessed with specs. But a better approach would be to criticize by creating. I recently watched the, the TV series, The West Wing. Any West Wing fans on there? Oh, wow, okay. I'm really dating myself this morning. 90s uh, Christian rock and late 90s political dramas. But there's a scene where the presidential candidate, Santos, 
is trying to recruit someone to work uh, with his campaign and eventually go to the White House. And he wants this person on his team, but the person is like, oh, you know, the culture there is just so toxic. And, you know, like uh, complaining about politics and why, why would they want to work there? And I love Santos's response to that person. He says, and I wrote it down when I was watching, it's easier to throw rocks at a house, meaning to point out the specs, it's easier to throw rocks at a house than to build one. Fix the place from the inside. That's what grown-ups do. I love that. It's so easy these days to just complain about everything, to point out all the specs everywhere, to proclaim everything as toxic. And, and listen, I get it. We do need to expose toxic workplaces or cultures, but sometimes it's just kind of lazy to label something as toxic as soon as we realize it's not perfect, right? Maybe the better approach is just to say, this is really hard. Relationships are really hard. Work is really hard. It is tainted by sin and sinful people, including me and my own planks. But I'm going to seek to be a light and try to be a part of creating something more beautiful. In other words, I'm going to criticize by creating. Staying on the uh, White House kind of theme here, I guess, I think of uh, Teddy Roosevelt's famous speech, The Man in the Arena. I don't know if you know this speech, but it's uh, a great one. And he says, it is not the critic who counts, not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles or where the doer of deeds could have done them better, right? That's the spec mentality. He says, the credit belongs to the man who is actually in the arena, right? The one who is actually trying to create something more beautiful. In other words, if you don't like how your city is treating the homeless, do something about it. Run for council. If you want to see more of the power of God falling on your church or more people being reached, start fasting and praying and get involved and volunteer and give. Get in the arena. And this brings us to uh, our next kind of cultural humility application or, or way to avoid being a plank eye, and that is to refuse cynicism but embrace hope. Back to Roosevelt, he says, the poorest way to face life is to face it with a sneer, a cynical habit of thought and speech, a readiness to criticize work which the critic himself never tries to perform. Even in the midst of sinful structures and places and a sinful culture, we must learn to see and celebrate the good to magnify hope because despair corrodes the soul. Learn to appreciate the good that your local government is doing, that your kids' teachers are doing, that your boss is doing. Instead of just constantly looking at the you know, moss on your neighbor's roof, appreciate that they keep their driveway free of weeds and grass. I don't know, I'm just thinking of examples here of how to live this way. But this is part of a humble approach 
to the world around us, that no person, no organization, no government, no church, no neighbor is perfect and ever will be, and neither are we. Jesus says here in Matthew 7, 2, that in the same way you judge others, you also will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. In other words, if you want people to be gracious and gentle with you, then be gracious and gentle to others. And we can spend all our energy, you know, pointing out all the faults in our world, and there are many, in our city, in our churches. We can choose cynicism, we can sneer, or we can examine our own planks and choose the hope of God's redeeming work in ourselves and the structures around us and begin to work towards something better and more beautiful. And this is what the early Christians did. Listen, I know much of our world is evil and corrupt and opposed to the ways of God, right? I'm not ignoring that or glossing over that, but it's important to remember that the world the first Christians inherited in the first century was honestly a lot worse than this. I mean, talk about government corruption, sexual immorality, loose morals, disdain for the sanctity of life. I mean, the Roman world was a bad world world. No wonder even the first Christians thought Jesus was coming any day now. They thought this can't possibly go on for much longer. But what do we find Christians doing? Just complaining about how bad the world is? Retreating behind a computer screen to criticize everything around them? No, they lived in such a way that embraced hope of a better world, both now and in the future. They created something beautiful, a community of prophetic witness where children, women, and the poor were treated with respect, which didn't happen in that world. They opened their homes to each other. They took care of those in need. They adopted children or helped mothers in need instead of the more common practice in the Roman world of throwing unwanted fetuses or babies into sewers and ditches. That's how Christians got involved in social issues. They put their energy not at yelling at the culture, but rather by creating a counterculture, an alternative to that culture. They lived differently and in humility. And you know what? It became appealing to others. And the church began to grow with God's help as people wanted to be a part of something better, more beautiful. The last point and the most obvious application here and way to avoid being a plank eye, of course, is to humbly confess our own sin. Understanding our own sinfulness will cause us to have humility toward others and the sin in their lives. C.S. Lewis says this, he says that those who do not think about their own sins make up for it by thinking incessantly about the sins of others. They are the ultimate plank eye. And as a church or as Christians, you know, I'd rather be known as a bunch of humble sinners than arrogant know-it-alls. As a forgiven people, 
who are actually not very righteous in and of themselves, but have been made righteous only through the precious sacrifice and blood of Jesus Christ and put all our trust and hope, not in ourselves, not in our culture, but in Christ alone. As Christians, our goal is not to be first. It's not to be at the top of the cultural pecking order. It's to serve our culture with humility and love, realizing we are just sinners in need of grace like everyone else. And we can do this by learning to listen, by creating more than criticizing, by embracing hope, and by humbly confessing our own shortcomings.